Sales Tuners, Episode 79, Adam Schoenfeld, CEO at Siftrock. What I found is just that the results were better when, you know, when I put the hands on the keyboard and actually looked at somebody's profile, led with something, you know, personal about them. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Thomas Merton, who said, pride makes us artificial, humility makes us real. Today, I'm joined by Adam Schoenfeld, CEO at Siftrock, an email reply management platform that works behind the scenes to clean your databases inside of Marketo, Eloqua, HubSpot, and many others. Adam got my attention with his LinkedIn post going from CEO to SDR, a la Undercover Boss. His learnings were incredible, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. Costello has been a sponsor of this show for several months now, so I wanted to call founder and CEO Frank Dale and ask him why exactly he built Costello. You and I have talked to a lot of salespeople, and I've yet to meet one that doesn't want to be great. But if we look at the tools that they have available to them, they're not built to make their job easier. We have CRM, and it's great for contact management. We have awesome tools like our friends at SalesLoft that will help you with cadences and, and reaching out to prospective customers. But the second we start talking to someone, we're stuck with Post-it notes, Google Docs, and Evernote templates. And if you're trying to run a dynamic sales call, that just doesn't cut it. And so what that leads to is forgetting to ask that question you meant to ask, not remembering that customer story when you need to tell it, and then data that maybe we need to understand what's going on in the business, not making it back to CRM. Connect with Frank and his team or request a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com and see why their platform is truly changing the way reps run sales calls. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 79. But now let's get to the conversation where Adam self-confesses his insanely fast walking habit. I'm a ridiculously fast walker. Like if you're walking down the street and you think you're moving really fast and then you see somebody come up behind you and pass you, that will be me. Are you one of those uh, in the airport, if people are walking on, I'm sorry, if they're standing on the moving sidewalk, does that frustrate you or do you, you're already walking so fast you don't even bother you? I'm not even on the moving sidewalk. I just want to be on the solid ground moving as quick as possible and trying to pass the people on the moving sidewalk. Adam, in this show, as you know, we talk about the attitudes, action, and abilities that have led to your success. So I want to understand the sales process you have today. Uh, tell me, what is Siftrock, and, and why does a typical customer decide to buy from you? So we're, like you said at the top, we do email reply management. So basically in B2B, if you send a high volume of marketing emails, you get all these replies back. Like some of our real people raising their hand that want to talk, a bunch of out-of-office messages, notifications that somebody's changed jobs. And we uh, collect all that information and then we you know, sync data back to your marketing platform and route the important messages over to the right person to handle them on your side. So what companies are typically doing before Siftrock is looking at this manually 
And so basically the reason people buy from us is to save time, to get some operational efficiency. And then, you know, at the end of the rainbow, they get a, a better database and they get ultimately a better customer experience because they're handling those replies faster and more effectively. One of the things that I was reading through uh, your website is, you know, out of office messages and how much of a trove of data uh, they they have in them. And I tell all the reps that I work with on a daily basis, you know, they get out of office messages and they hate it. They're like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, guys, do you realize that out of office messages telling you exactly who the person is that you need to contact, what their phone number is and their like, you need to love those out of office messages. And you guys are doing that and a lot more at scale. Is that about correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like reps might get a couple of these a week. You know, think of somebody who's sending out uh, hundreds of thousands or millions of marketing messages on a monthly basis, you know, their webinar invites, their newsletters. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at thousands of these responses. And like, like you're saying, looking at the signatures, looking at the body of those messages, there's lots of interesting signal. I mean, one of the most interesting things is you get a job change notification through an auto reply. You know, so like Jim, if you change jobs, your company might put up a, an auto response that says, you know, Jim no longer works here, reach out to Jane over here. Um, and we can pick up all that data and, and help you make use of it on the marketing side. I know I've got to dig a little bit deeper into this, but uh, Adam, you, you haven't always been the person you are today. So take me way back. How did you actually uh, get into sales or, or, or selling technology? By accident, I think. I was I was in a consulting job right out of school. I was an analyst in a firm that did sort of uh, engagements for, for big enterprise customers. And we also worked for a hedge fund to do uh, primary research. And you know what? I made the mistake of thinking I was pretty smart. And I was like, so what I'll do is I'll start a company. I'll start a tech company. And I, I really didn't know anything, um, but I went out with a friend and, and we started a business. And, and that was really my first time having to sell anything. So, you know, my interest in technology and wanting to create software kind of led me to needing to learn how to sell because every CEO, every founder needs to sell what they do in some capacity, um, whether it's to customers or employees or investors. So that was really my first exposure. And that's how I got going. I love that you're saying that one of the things that I talk to all these tech company founders that I meet with that are not salespeople, you know, they come from the product side or the technology side, or, you know, even to your point, the analyst side, they are the VP of sales until they can afford to hire one. And so they have got to learn how to sell. And one of the books that I always recommend to them is uh, Dan Pink's to sell as human because we are selling everything every single day. We're selling our ideas. We're selling the vision to our employees. We're, we're selling a vision to investors. So I love that you hit on all that. I, I greatly appreciate that. One of the things that attracted me to you or led me to you, if you will, is your LinkedIn post about how you decided to go from CEO in your own company to SDR. And the reason why I appreciate that so much is because too many tech company CEOs, they just think, well, I'll hire a, a entry-level SDR, give them some tools and uh, you know, maybe give them an ideal customer profile and then the magic will happen. You realize that wasn't the case, but I want to know like, what was actually in your mind to get you to run this experiment? It was pretty practical. It was something I sort of stumbled into, but we were looking at our go-to-market and what was um, successful for us at driving leads, at driving demand. And we've been using paid channels really effectively. We've been getting great word of mouth from our customers. We have some partner activity through the, the marketing platforms we integrate with that drives demand. And we were thinking, okay, for 2018, what's our next channel going to be? How are we going to like keep growing? And I, I looked at Outbound and, and thought that was probably where we could get a lot of 
new opportunities, but I didn't feel like I knew outbound that well. So I was like thinking, well, should we go hire somebody, you know, a sales development rep to drive that for us? And in, in thinking about that, I was like, you know, I need to learn this first. So I said, all right, I'll take the next two months. We're probably not going to do a lot of recruiting in November, December. Anyway, I'll take the next two months. I'll kind of do the job. I'll learn as much as I can about it. I'll meet a bunch of people and then I'll, I'll know a lot more when it comes to actually hiring somebody and how we want to structure our process and the roles within Zipdrop. We're going to talk about the, some of the success that you have, but also some of the uh, failures. I'm, I'm, if it's, I hope it's okay to use that word, but some of the failures you also experienced uh, in the process. I want to start right away with one of those. I know you spent two weeks preparing for this outbound gig, but once you got your first positive response, you, you kind of screwed it up. Can you talk about that? Uh, what happened? Oh, yeah. I totally fumbled the handoff. Um, I had nobody reply and I was super excited. And then I went to book the meeting and I, you know, I forgot the, the go to meeting link and the invite. I didn't send a confirmation like 101 stuff like, OK, the meeting is today. We need to send a confirmation. So then she was like five minutes late and I didn't have the link. So I think we got started like 12 minutes into a 30 minute slot. And so my director of sales, who's our closer over here, was just like, you're giving me 18 minutes to work, man. Like, thanks for the meeting, but um, let, why don't you work on the handoff process? So that woke me up right away. And I was like, okay, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to this, a lot of little gotchas along the way. I love the fact that one, you were just willing to be transparent and share that to the whole world on LinkedIn, but now being able to have this as a conversation, what did you actually learn about that from you know, the sales ops, sales enablement, uh, any of those perspectives? I think the, the big thing is just knowing what's going to happen next, like thinking about the next moves and, and having some lightweight process at least. So I just started with ready, fire, aim. I had spent a lot of time getting data and getting my target accounts. And I was like, all right, now we just need to go start prospecting, but probably, you know, enabling the team to sort of know what to do next when, when the response happens, when you get a connect, when, when somebody's ready to talk, making sure there's at least a little bit of infrastructure there to, to make it a clean handoff. And that's more than just having tools, right? It's, it's actually having what the messaging might sound like. It's having the different frameworks of how they could have different conversations and truly just equipping them with all the things that they need to be uh, ready, uh, as you said, to respond to that. Totally. And, and stuff like that happened all the time where sort of, you know, you we'd prospect and then people would reply or they'd come on our site and do, and into the live chat and sort of like this constant balance of, all right, how do I drive this engagement toward my goal of a meeting, right? How do I not get caught into a, you know, a 20 message long email thread? Like, how do I actually, you know, drive this conversation forward so that, you know, we can really, you know, dive in with the customer and see if there's fit. And that's a, that's a hard balance to strike. And I think it, it wasn't immediately obvious to me of sort of what to do next once you get that engagement. So talk to me a little bit about that. This uh, We've all had them, the, the 20 emails back and forth without actually progressing the steps. What were some of the tactics that you were able to use or deploy to rein that in and set the meeting? I wasn't very good at it, to be honest. I mean, I, did, I don't uh -oh. know that I got that dialed in. I mean, I had a lot of long back and forth. I think my tendency being a little more technical and somebody who you know, loves my own product is like to answer all of the questions. Um, I think there, one of the things that I'd like to do as we do this more would be to, you know, pick up the phone midway through that thread or try to sort of drive people toward a quick conversation so that we could just kind of get to the, the conclusion a little bit faster. I think that, that's a challenge that honestly, I didn't get figured out, but I at least identified the problem, which is the first step. I love that you said uh, you would like to uh, find yourself or your team picking up the phone more in that sequence. Uh, why wasn't that obvious? So for me, you know, I really did focus on email and social because I wasn't sure that I could learn, you know, how to do cold calling effectively in such a short amount of time. And look, the phone is scary sometimes. 
So I, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you have to sort of build that muscle up and know when to use it sort of alongside email and social, like when do you chase opens and clicks and engagement with calls and, and how do you do that? And I, you know, I just think it's kind of a, a tough balance to strike that. And that's why I didn't figure it out right off the bat. I think I just saw uh, a post on your LinkedIn that you now have uh, uh, put a position open for this SDR role. And right in it, you said, look, this is not an uh, outbound calling, cold calling job. You're you're willing and you're able to dial if you choose to, but it's not going to be the default mode for you. So I love that you know, you're, you're being uh, able to lean into that still because of some of the learnings that, that you had there. I think that's fantastic. And I think that's just because I, I see some people pursuing these models where it's like, activity is everything. And we're going to have, you know, 100 calls a day, no matter what, and it's all about activity. But in my time, that's not what I found. I mean, I've, I found that smaller number of higher impact um, outreach, a lot of times worked better, like my best performing email sequence was, you know, only had 16 people enrolled in it, because it was super specific to the traits of those people and the types of companies they're in. So, you know, I, I, I kind of found that, you know, less activity and more focus was was driving more results for me in my early experiments. So that's kind of why I've taken that philosophy into hiring. It's like, hey, man, like, let's figure out how to get people into our pipeline. Uh, I don't care if you really if you call them 10 times or you email them once or, you you know, if you want to show up at their door, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> I want to sort of think about the results and, and then, you know, come up with creative and interesting ways to get there. Yeah. All you care about is the outcome. And did they show up for a meeting and get to have a conversation with us? Yeah. I mean, I want us to do it in a way that represents our brand well and, and creates a good experience for the prospect. So I don't want to like, you know, hammer people into submission, but as long as we're sort of maintaining our values and the way that we prospect and the way we reach out to people, then yeah, it's like, let's figure out interesting ways to get results and let's go off of the traditional playbook. Like it doesn't have to be a 12 step email sequence with eight calls in her mix. You know, it just, it can be whatever you want to try. That's, that's the, the philosophy I want to take to it. One of my favorite things, Adam, about being able to do this show is the range of people that I get to speak to. But it's it's funny to me to always look at the themes that start to emerge. And maybe it's just because of the way I'm asking questions or whatnot. But you're now the third person today that I've, I've talked to that has brought up this idea of get rid of the old school playbook that everyone seems to be running. And you're absolutely right. Like, let's go figure out who our specific market is and talk to those people the way they want to be talked to, not just how technology buyers want to be generally spoken to. And so I, I, again, I love that. I want to dive into this. uh, You said the best sequence that you sent out was only had 16 people in it. One of the things that I was reading in your, uh, your post that talked about this was the idea of real personalization versus tailored automation. So by you telling me that you had a sequence that had only 16 people in it, to me, that feels like it was tailored automation, but can you uh, compare and contrast what you saw in those two uh, topics? That sequence that I was mentioning there had a mix of, of tailored automation and real personalization. So I think it had, you know, six email steps and two of them were actually, you know, put my hands on the keyboard, right? So the first and the third, and then the others were, were follow-ups that were automated and sort of a general template. So what I, what I found is just that the results were better when, you know, when I put the hands on the keyboard and actually looked at somebody's profile, led with something, you know, personal about them. And what I mean by that is it, it, an email or a message that couldn't be replicated for another person. So something you posted on LinkedIn, something specific about your background, something specific about you and your company put together. Um, and I usually did those as quick kind of introduction. You know, like, Jim, I saw that you have this great podcast and that, you know, 
you interviewed so-and-so the other day and here's what I learned. And, you know, by the way, I think that's really relevant to what I do here at Siftrock and I'd love to show you that. So that, that approach versus tailored automation where you maybe use a token for the company and the industry and things like that, it just got like a 2x better reply rate for me. So I've been gravitating to that more. And you say 2x, I mean, like, let's not be uh, confused with small numbers, 2x. 2x means twice as many people respond to that real personalization as you did the tailored automation. So if we do the inverse of that, you have to reach out to two times as many people with your tailored automation to maybe get the results that you're doing with that real personalization. So again, it just goes back out into what you're talking about. You'd rather do the things that are going to get the outcome as opposed to just doing the things that have the input. Yeah, exactly. And for me, the, the the other problem is, well, okay, it's easy to actually do two times more volume or five times or even 10 times more volume when you're doing tailored automation. The problem is the 90% of people who don't respond, right? Now, are you actually um, reaching out to them in a way that, that you're proud of and excited about? And and what happens six months later when they're when they are in market? You know, so so the way I thought about it was like, I want to think about the people who don't reply as well. And, and, and sort of make sure I'm putting my best foot forward with those people because you can only you know, deliver your first impression once. So I thought a lot about that and thought a lot about brand. You know, I, I will also you know, put that in context with, we have a smaller TAM. You know, we have a couple thousand companies that we're really focused on. And so that I think weighs on us heavily. If we had tens of thousands of companies that we're going after, yeah, sure, maybe more of a, you know, a high scale, high volume approach would make sense. But for my business, I just didn't think that that was the right tactic. I'm totally with you. You know, I do sales coaching and sales training mostly for tech companies here in Indianapolis. Now I have a few outside the area, but it's the same thing for me. Like my total addressable market of companies who fit the criteria of what I'm going after is less than 50. And so if I was just putting them on a, you know, automated plan, I would blast through all of them within a week and I would be done. I'd be out of ammunition to, to go fire at. So, you know, I take a very slow approach of doing the research and finding the information's relevant for them when they're going to, you know, get different funding rounds, stuff like that. So I have to do that. And so again, I'm a service as opposed to you're a software, but, but again, it's just that, that finite valuable uh, amount of people that I want to go after, I'm not going to blow it on just automation. So I love hearing, again, the CEO of a company who tried to be the SDR say the things that you're saying, because it just seems like too many don't get it. So I want to talk about another one of those things where things go wrong, right? So you were you did a lot of research on these companies. You used the best available data that you have, but sometimes that goes wrong. And you wrote about uh, somebody who replied to you that said, hey, great message, but we don't use Marketo. And I guess you had personalized the email to that. But talk to me about that. Like, how did you get the data that they uh, you thought they were using Marketo? And what happened when they just shut you down? It's tough, right? And I was very um, specific when I when I'd make a statement like that. I didn't say, "Hey, Jim, you know, I think you use Marketo, so I'm reaching out." I said, "It looks like you use Marketo, or I know that you have a Marketo stack, or something like that." Um, and we do, we work with Eloqua and HubSpot as well, so we use those as sort of things to trigger off of an email. And you know, if somebody replies and says we don't use that, I mean, you're just you're feeling like, oh man, the whole basis of my outreach just broke down, right? And you gave them an immediate reason to say no, which I think a lot of people, honestly, when they're reading cold email or, or listening to their voicemails, it's like they want a reason to say no. Um, and so I just opened the door on that. And, and the learning there is this data is is not perfect and it's hard to rely on. I mean, I think it's getting a lot better. Like we use EverString, we really like for account selection. I use BuiltWith to sort of pick up some of the uh, technographic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like uh, lead IQ for, for um, getting contact data, but you know, when you put it all together, it's, it's never perfect. So I almost think y'all, you have to look at each record before you, you message them. I mean, it's, 
it's a hard balance, right? How much time you want to spend on that. But I definitely found those moments where we didn't have the right data. It, it was a bad look. The thing that to me that's fascinating about that, again, and just going back to the sheer premise of our conversation today, Adam, is that it, it, sometimes we hire green, just junior reps as SDRs, and we give them these tools and we give them this data and we just expect them to know how to figure this stuff out. And so if, if you're running into these roadblocks and hurdles as a CEO, what do you think our frontline SDRs are, are doing on a daily basis? And we, we need to listen to them when they come back and bring us information like, hey, something isn't working. But what, what, are, what are your thoughts there? I mean, I think a strong sales ops and marketing ops function is so, so important for outbound, you know, to, to do all this, right? Like I, I wrote about this the other day too, like having a, a natural company name is a, is a big one. Like if you reach out to me and say, hi, Adam, I see that Siftrock comma Inc period is doing X, Y, and Z. It's like archive, right? I just know that, that you didn't even take the time to call my company what I would call it. So I think you need a lot of investment in in sort of that process, and and yeah, the reps need to be trained on sort of what to look for and and know where they have where they can have confidence in the data and they can just let it run on automation versus where they should really take a look before they put it to use. It's not an easy balance to strike, but um, I think the tools are getting better, and I think like as if leaders are aware of this, then you can design around it. That's the key right there. And it's, it's leadership being aware of it and willing to make the investment in it. And that investment is both in the people and training and coaching, but as well as in the process and the time that it takes to truly get it right. And so one of the things that I read as well that I loved and I'd love to hear more about what you did there is using ad copy to seed your outbound messaging. So I think I know what you're talking about there, but tell me, uh, what, what did that actually mean to you? What were you able to, to find through uh, ad copy? I sat down and I'm going to write a bunch of cold email templates, right? And I'm going to personalize a lot of these. And I'm like, all right, well, what do I write? I have no data. I've never done this. So basically what I did is I looked at our paid campaigns and I looked at the messages that were performing the best there in terms of click-through and conversion. And then I sort of reformatted those to cold email. And that worked really, really well because it at least gave me a jumping off point to, to iterate, to see what people responded to and whatnot. So you know, we do a lot of case studies. I'm really big on, you know, letting customers tell our story. And that was that's what was working over um, on our paid channels. So I just sort of reformatted that into our cold email plays. And, and that's the way we, we started. I like how you said it was the jumping off point for you. I saw on Twitter, I think it was like last week, Joe Sharanoff, um, he talked about how he loves it when marketing gives content and copy, if you will, over to sales to use in emails and, this, and stuff like that. But sales still has to take it and in his words, rough it up a little yeah. bit, right? Because it sounds very polished when it comes from, from marketing. Adam, one of the things that you said is like you knew when someone said Sifrock comma Inc in an email that it actually didn't come from uh, from sales. It came from some you know uh, engine that was just created all that stuff uh, with automation. But where kind of like what Joe was talking about is once you have that that launching off point, you have to humanize all the content that's going to go out so that people don't just completely blow it off. So I, I think that's fascinating. I mean, I honestly think up the funnel too in marketing, when we are doing automation, we should humanize our content more. Like I loved what Joe yeah. said about scuffing it up, but, um, or, or roughing it up. But he had a great line on it, but you know, I think, you know, a lot of our customers are doing high scale, you know, top of funnel email marketing, and we encourage them to send those kind of personable, more casual emails because you're more likely to get engagement. I mean, it just feels more human. I think that's the way the world's going in a lot of respects. So if you're, if your supposedly personalized emails feel stiff and, you know, and don't have a human feel, then you're really hosed. 
one of the things that I do in some of the training that I do for, for outbound reps, I will have all of them, you know, talk about the, the pains and challenges that their, their customers have right on a daily basis. And then I said, okay, now based on those, I want you to write one subject line for each of the pains that you just listed out. And then, you know, they do that and there might be 20 people in the room. And then once they do that, then I say, okay, find your best one and give it to me. And so they, I now have 20 email subject lines and I write all of them up on the board. I'm simulating an inbox. And I said, okay, now let's just look at these. Let's pretend this is your inbox. Which of these look like they came from marketing? Which of these look like they can't, which, uh, <laughs> from, uh, sales, which of these look like spam, which of these would you open? And to truly get them to start thinking about it, it's like, okay, yeah, I want it to look like it's coming from another human being and that's what's going to get me to open it or at least make me think enough in my head. It's like, wait a minute, I don't know what this means. I have to open it because I'm curious to see what's inside of it. Now, there's some challenges with tricks and, and stuff like that in there, but uh, that's it, it goes back to that whole concept of you using ad copy to, to seed your messaging. Joe talking about you know sales roughing it up, but it's totally true. Like we, Nobody wants more email. Totally. Totally. I mean, I, I think I had a little advantage on this because I have an inbox that gets a lot of these pitches and I've seen a lot of pitches over the years. And so one of the things I, I loved doing when I was, when I was my interim SDR is when I'd be on the bus in the morning coming to work. I just go through my inbox and I go through my spam mm -hmm. folder too. And I just scan it. I, I do that whiteboard exercise you were talking about. I'd look at what stood out to me, what looked really human, what looked automated. And, you know, look at some of the emails with your wife or your buddies or whatever. I mean, there are not they don't look like a marketing message. They don't look like a sales message. They just look like people communicating. So I think that's, mm -hmm. that's sort of the, the best end goal in, in my mind. And, you know, you got a, a little bit of space there, the subject line and that little lead in sentence on your phone. And, and that's mostly what people are consuming your content on, right? Is their, is their smartphone. Mm -hmm. So I thought a lot about that, that space and how to use it. You did something to summarize that whole post. And at the end you said prospects don't owe you shit. And I, I, kind of assume and uh, I'm reading between the lines and knowing what you're saying there, but for the audience, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because I feel like a lot of us get in our own head that, look, I'm taking the time to do this. You, you could at least give me a response, but I agree with you. I'm not going to let that, you know, change the way that I approach things. I'm just going to, you know, accept that as the reality of the world. We're all doing the best we can and I'm going to keep doing good work. I think where it can become a problem is if, you get those negative responses or you get people ghosting you, um, as Katie over here likes to say, you know, you can get down about it and then you can start to um, sort of lower quality, you know, start to say, oh, I'll just like lob some random stuff over at them now, you know, and, and I don't think that's good for anybody. So that's what I meant by that. I mean, it was kind of harsh words, but it's, it's something that I try to keep in my head to keep me, you know, just grounded on the, the other side of, of how they're experiencing this. I love that. Adam, this is awesome, but I've got to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away there. We'll be right back. Whether you're a sales leader looking to grow your team or a sales rep looking to level up with a new gig, you've got to see what my friends at Treeline are up to. As a sales exclusive recruiting firm, they are much more than just resumes. Using their proprietary technology and more than 20 years experience, Treeline helps mutually define the right fit between each company and the type of rep they need to be successful. So if you're done spending money on job boards and wasting your time screening unqualified candidates, pause this show now and go to treeline-inc.com. That's treeline-inc.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Adam, are you ready for the money round? Oh, yeah. 
Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Thank you for considering me exceptional. Um, but I think it's just kind of staying humble and never feeling like I'm too important. I've gotten into that trap before in my career and it, it held me back. So I think just putting the ego aside and, and just being excited about any job, anything that I get to do when I come to work. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would probably want to shadow somebody, somebody really good. I, I would want to just watch somebody in action, be there, be on the calls, listen, take a ton of notes. Um, I think that would be a great way to learn. I didn't really have the opportunity to do that. I had to do trial by, trial by fire. I wish I had 30 days to, to follow somebody great. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Oh, I love to win. I like to win for, for customers, for the team. I mean, I think, yeah, winning, winning is much more fun than guarding against losing in, in my book. I'm a bit of an optimist. What's a book, Adam, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? I really like uh, Good to Great. Just an awesome business book, has some really great frameworks. I still come back to the, the hedgehog principle all the time, thinking about our strategy. So that's a book I, I really enjoy and I've read a couple of times. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Adam's recommendation of Good to Great for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for Good to Great. And the Hedgehog Principles is something that I've been using for many, many years. And I agree, uh, it's a book that I've read multiple times and will continue to do so. Adam, what is currently at the top of your bucket list? I've got two young kids, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And I think it's just like, being able to spend time with them and, and enjoy these years. So it's, it's nothing big, ambitious, climbing mountains. It's just, you know, I want to be able to go home at the end of the day and have a couple hours to hang with them and, and uh, do goofy stuff. What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? I'd say it's, it's be yourself and figure out what, what your strengths are. Um, because I, I think too many people, when you're young in your career, you come out and you're like, you're trying to fit some mold. And I think it's, it's more important to actually find out where your strengths are and, and what you like doing and what's your sort of uh, superpower. So that would be my advice. I wish I would have uh, started thinking about that earlier in my career. I can't tell you how much I appreciated Adam's willingness to come out of the corner office as CEO and put in the work of an SDR. His humbleness is so refreshing. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, know what to do next. You just made the investment in acquiring data, hashing out your target accounts and cold prospecting. But what happens when you actually get someone on the phone? Make sure you build out at least the basic infrastructure to know how to handle responses, both positive and negative. If your goal is a meeting, make sure you're not getting stuck in 20 message email threads or look silly when your prospect ends up on your website talking to your chatbot. Number two, put your hands on the keyboard. When you work with smaller numbers of target accounts, you have the opportunity to get more personal in your messaging. Instead of letting your sales automation do all the work, put your hands on the keyboard and customize your outreach. Make it obvious that your message could not have been sent to anyone else other than the person you're sending it to. As Adam said, you can only deliver your first impression once. Number three, leverage messaging from paid advertising. If your company is invested in PPC or any other form of paid advertising, sit with them to understand what's working. What headlines are getting the best click-through rate? Which messages are getting the best conversion rate? These tests make for great email subject lines as well as quick notes. But remember, the best messages don't look like they came from sales or marketing. They look like they came from another human. That's it. 
Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay there. Why did Yankee Doodle call the feather in his cap macaroni?